Hey everybody, welcome into the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. As a reminder, we're available on all podcast platforms, so be sure to rate and subscribe. Tony and Dragon here joined by Andy Martinez. And Andy, we're wrapping up the Cubs Diamondback series here, wrapping up the homestand. Obviously, the Cubs, um, it wasn't the way, the, the overall results were not what the Cubs wanted, losing three of four to the team directly behind them in the wildcard standings, one of the teams chasing them. That being said, I think we were talking about this during the game. The takeaways from this series look a little bit different than just losing three or four and looking at the box scores. It goes beyond it, I think. Yeah, it's so weird, right? Because if you look at the box scores, they're shut out one day by, by Zach Allen. They put up two runs in another game and they put up uh, two runs in, or they put up two runs in two of the, the other three games. Like, yeah, if you just look at that, you're like, well, the Cubs offense is struggling. Cubs offense might be broken. Like, what's going on? And that was kind of like far from the truth. I I think of like so many specific instances, but it just seemed like the the luck wasn't going their way. And Dansby or Dansby Swanson talked about it. Ian Happ talked about it. Cody Bellinger talked about it. Sometimes when you play at Wrigley, it 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 can really change how it plays. San Francisco series, it looked like everything was just going out right. Like it, the wind was blowing out every single day. If you got it up in the air, you had a chance to, to hit a home run. In Arizona, it seemed like every even the last game when the Cubs put up five one, runs and one. Even then, it was like the wind was kind of blowing in. Like you, you needed the, some balls to really get hit perfectly for it to be a, a home run. And to me, there was just so many instances like the Ian Happ caught, ball that's caught by Lourdes Gurriel in the tenth inning in, in mm-hmm. Saturday's game. If that's uh, a foot over, a foot higher, or a foot to the left, or a foot to the whatever, that's a double. Maybe that that changes the whole game. If if Jan Gomes's ball is hit maybe a, a little bit higher. I mean, that's a home run, and it's a walk-off home run, game over. Or, or, if or it you, carams off the wall instead of directly right to Gurriel like right. it did, yes. Yeah, like there's so many instances where it's like the luck didn't go their way, and that's kind of how the Cubs felt, right? They weren't worried. They weren't panicked. They kind of felt like, all right, you know, it's one of those days. And then early on in, in, in Sunday's finale, it seemed like everything offensive was going their way, and they had a base runner in every inning except for the seventh. Like they just were cruising. And that was a good sign for them to, to have the results after having a run of games where you're having good at-bats or having good situations, but you're not putting up the – or you're not getting the end result. Yeah, I mean, there were at least four or five instances, I think, over the series, like you're talking about with, with the Wrigley wind conditions, where um, the Cubs seemed like they had a homer and it just didn't go. And, right. you know, Nico Horner off of uh, – was it Gallon uh, or Merrick Kelly? It, it was Gallon, yeah, it was – the yeah. first inning, like that, looked like that was going right away. Uh, just right off the bat, you know, I was watching on TV, you were watching here, like it just looked a little bit different from that regard. Uh, but both of us had the exact same thought. Multiple times Thursday night in the first couple innings, it looked like the Cubs had quite a few. Um, obviously, the Diamondbacks found a way. You know, Tommy yeah. Pham hit two homers in that game. Kettle Marte hit a homer too. But I think what the Cubs did Sunday in specific to to make sure that they were able to get runs across is they used their speed. And, and they did on Saturday too, right? Like Nico hustling on that Cody Bellinger pop-up where the sun, the, the different Wrigley conditions, yep. played a factor beyond the wind there. Uh, I think that was a huge bit of base running. Like that was an incredible, incredible play. Like it was just a lot of fun to to see that because how often does that happen? A guy scores from first on a botched pop-up with two outs, but he's hustling the entire way. And then on Sunday, you know, Nick Madrigal with a stolen base, Nico Horner with two stolen bases, comes around to score both times. Like, the Cubs did play long ball. They had three home runs in the third inning. But they also played the small ball and to help, you know, get a little bit more offense, get a little bit more traction, even though Ross admitted that, like, it wasn't. It was taking a risk to try to run in that spot because the Arizona pitchers 
who were throwing on Sunday were a little bit close, uh, quick to home plate. And, you know, just the way that their Arizona catching, it was Sebi Savala. Gabriel Moreno has been awesome at it, but I guess they thought they could take care of Savala, uh, take advantage of him a bit. But the Cubs, they, they showed this is what they're going to have to do in the postseason. is right. like they're going to have to beat Corbin Burns. They're going to have to beat Zach Allen. They're going to have to beat Merrill Kelly and so on if they're going to be successful, one, down the stretch to get to the playoffs, and two, in the playoffs. And, yes, they're going to put the ball in the seat occasionally, but if the wind is blown in, if the conditions are right, then they've shown that they can score in other ways by you know hustling, taking the extra base, stealing bases, coming around in singles, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, and that's one thing that Mike Talkman mentioned in Cincinnati after the finale in Cincinnati, where if you remember that last game, I believe they scored like 15 runs. They kind of blew it open. I believe it was like 15-7, to seven, but it was tied in the in the eighth inning, or seventh or eighth inning late in the game. And it was kind of like, all right, like, this is this is a close game. How can the Cubs how can the Cubs get some runs to, to, to get some insurance? And if you remember Miles Mastroboni comes in to bunt and he hadn't played in like two weeks. He had one at bat over the last month in the major leagues. They ask him to bunt and he bunts it and he gets on base. Then the Cubs break it open, have that big inning, they bat around, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone remembers fifteen seven. But Mike Talkman specifically wasn't prompted or anything, referenced that play by by Miles Mastroboni and mentioned that in the playoffs, like you're going to have times where you're going to have to just lay down a bunt or get creative or have a hit and run or, or, or steal a base to try and generate some offense. And that's what the Cubs have shown, whether it's that 15-7 to 7 game or whether it's the 5-2 the to 2 game or the 3-2 or the to 2 game. Like, that's what they, they've got to do, and they're not one-dimensional in the sense that they need to have a three-run home run or three, uh, a three-home run inning like they did on Sunday. Like, they can score in a multitude of ways. Yeah, and um... – you know, we also know that this Cubs team, really any offense is going to come and go at this time of year especially. So this team is built on pitching and defense. We've heard it all year. We heard it in spring training that that was the main focus of this team. And I think we saw that in this series as well. Yeah. Like, yeah, the offense didn't come through in the first few games, but the pitching was great. I mean, the starters averaged six innings over the four games, uh, 225 ERA, just six are in runs in the 24 innings. So um, all these guys went out and pitched pretty well. But, like, the defense, Dansby Swanson made at least a half a dozen really good-looking plays that he made look really easy yeah. that are not easy, including yeah. this bare hand in the fourth or fifth inning. Uh, Sunday's game, Ian Happ with a sliding catch, gets up, fires a ball to second base right away. Um, every, everybody was kind of calling that the play of the game from the Cubs' perspective because the Diamondbacks were rallying a bit, you know, doubles a guy off of second base. I think it was Gurriel that was running, but it was a really nice play. Happ was joking that that's where his defense, his infield defense experience <laughs> comes to play, and he was having to show a lot of his teammates who don't know that he doesn't know that he plays infield, uh, that he can do that, that he can pop up and make And he a played first throw. base too, as he mentioned jokingly too. That yes, he, he yeah. He played first base a little bit. So, um, but, but just in general, Nick Madrigal has looked so good at third base. Yeah. Obviously, we know Nico continues to show out. Mike Talkman with a really nice sliding catch in ninth inning to kind of halt another potential rally yeah. after Julian Merriweather walked a guy to lead off the inning. So I just thought like pitching and defense has really came to the forefront in this series. And the fact that the Cubs dropped a couple of really close games where it didn't go their way doesn't take anything away from the fact that pitching and defense in this series was exactly what you would want to see from the Cubs in a playoff-type atmosphere, a playoff-type series. And to me, the another play that kind of highlights the defense is the one run that, that was scored in that Zach Gallant masterclass um, that he pitched against the Cubs. Say Suzuki nearly makes that catch, right? And he makes yeah. that catch as an inning, ending out, and 0-0, who knows how that game plays out. Yeah. Right? We, we, you don't know what happens. And I remember Nico was asked about it because it went to review and – 
it was originally ruled not on review it was overturned as a, as a as a hit and the, that it hit the ground before it say I had caught it and Nico remembers uh, after the game said you know I knew it was a hit I could see it from my angle that it hit the ground first but he thought it was closer than it it would have been right he thought it was no doubt a hit and then he's like oh man like I think say has got a chance and that ultimately he didn't but like that mm-hmm. kind of sums it up right where it's like the defense can make these plays that you don't necessarily think they can make and it's been all over the diamond like to your point the center fielder whether it's Bellinger or Talkman can do it happen left field is making ca- ru- is making routine and, and tough catches say Suzuki's looked a lot better in right field this year his second year in the major leagues and then at third base Nick Madrigal was among the leaders and outs above average defensively mm-hmm. at third base in the league right and you think about who plays third base in in baseball Nolan Arenado, Brian Hayes, like so many Matt guys, Chapman, yeah. and, and he ranks among those leaders, which is, if you would have said that, first of all, a year ago, you would have been laughed off, yeah. and if you said that even six months ago, when this whole transition was first coming, you probably might have still been laughed off, but he has really, I don't think you can underestimate how great he has been at third base and how much of a revelation that's been for the Cubs. When the Cubs got Jamer Candelario, right, it was all about like, Third base is short up. He, he's got third base, and, and you'll get some pop. And really, it's been actually Nick Madrigal shore that up. Jamer's been able to play some first, and Bellinger's been in center. Like, that's really been the storyline. And I think if the playoffs started today, Nick Madrigal might be your starting third baseman defensively, especially just given how good he plays. Yeah, because that's when you want your best defense out there. When you have Justin Steele, who gets a lot of weak contact, yep. particularly to the left side, you want it, your best third baseman out there defensively. That's Nick Madrigal. And you think back to when the Cubs were obviously going really well in 15, 16, 17. Like, Javi Baez was playing third a bunch when John Lester was on the mound, knowing that a bunch of right-handed hitters were going to face the lefty. We're going to pull the ball and hit weak contact to third base. Um, so they kind of moved Javi over there. Nick Madrigal's not Javi, right? But, like, right. he's playing really well defensively. So you want your best third baseman over there. Kyle Hendricks also gets a lot of ground balls, a lot of weak contact. Uh, and yeah, Madrigal, I talked to him after the game on Sunday and he gave Andy Green credit for that in spring training because Green has been working with him. He's the infield coach, you know, comes bench coach, but works a lot with infield and defense. And he also was the first guy, Madrigal said, that came up to him and said, you can do this. You have everything that it takes to be a third baseman, to be an above average third baseman. And so Madrigal said that really stood out to him is that this was a guy that believed in him you know, maybe even a little bit before he believed in himself or knew that he could do it. So, um, yeah, Madrigal's defense at third, I think, is is incredible. And watching Dansby play on a day-to-day basis, to me, really stands out, too. Um, But I mentioned Hendricks there. I think, you know, another really good outing on Sunday. It looked like at the start he was absolutely dominating. Four strikeouts in the first two innings, a bunch of really good change-ups, like – it, it you know give up a few hits as the as the uh, game went along came out one out uh, shy of a quality start but it's funny to think too as we look back a few months ago where the Cubs would be without Kyle Hendricks right now like this run that they've been on Hendricks has been a huge part of that when Jamison Tyone has not been the starting pitcher that they thought he was going to be Drew Smiley started out great right around the time when Hendricks was coming back it was like late May there was when Smiley really went on a run. Now he's been in the bullpen. Uh, Marcus Stroman, obviously, has missed a month and a half now because he's been hurt. So it's like Justin Steele, but then Kyle Hendricks is right up there in the rotation. A guy that the Cubs did not think, or they just didn't know what he was going to be this year. He's coming off a potentially career-threatening shoulder injury. You know, two-thirds of the time, guys with this injury have surgery on it. He opted not to have surgery. He also had had two very inconsistent seasons, and now he's been as consistent as any Cubs starting pitcher this year outside of Justin Steele. It, I, it's like an incredible 
underrated storyline, I think, of this season is that Hendricks getting back to vintage Hendricks is a huge reason why the Cubs are where they are right now. I think, again, going back, like we talked about, going back to maybe even spring training, like you, there might have been people that would have questioned, would have questioned whether or not Hendricks even had a spot in the rotation. Because yeah. you think about spring training, right? It was, as you mentioned, Steele, Stroman, Tyone, Smiley. And then the fifth roster, or fifth uh, starter spot was the battle between Hayden Wisniewski and Adrian Sampson. And given how Adrian Sampson had ended the season, you thought, like, maybe that's it. And then Ben Brown had been promoted up to Triple, triple Javier A. Sad, Javier yeah. Saad had, uh, had been a really good WBC and, and had, was being stretched out as a starter. Like, it was kind of like, where does Hendricks kind of fit? Like, you don't even consider him as potentially as a rotation piece. And what has he done since he's been back? It's just good outing after good outing after good outing. Yes, he's had some clunkers. Just the way he... He pitches like there's going to be days where he has he, he just gets hit, hit around. But for the most part, he has been as good as he has been for at least probably since 2020, if, mm, if that's yeah. fair to say. He has been just that good, and that's what the Cubs have needed. Like That is a, 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 a nice number two to have right behind Justin Steele, and it's kept them in this playoff race, right? If you would have – if who would have predicted that – or if someone told you, whether it's you or a Cubs fan listening in right now, on if someone told you on March first that the September tenth rotation would be Justin Steele, Kyle Hendricks, Jamison Tyone, Jordan Wicks, and Javier Assad, yeah, you might have thought the season kind of went the way the opposite way of its go of the way it's yeah, going. You probably never thought that Stroman would have been traded or something. Right, or Smiley, Smiley would have been yeah. traded. Like they would have sold off. Yeah. No, these guys have kept them in the playoff race, and that's really been a, a, a testament to the Cubs' pitching infrastructure that they've talked about for years. And and Kyle Hendricks has been at the forefront of that, just given how he's able to been able to come back and been a, a key cog of this rotation. Yeah, and, and not just the health, but just the way the Cubs brought back Kyle Hendricks, in hindsight, was so smart because yeah. they didn't rush him back. They used the time to help him get right. He's increased his velocity just a bit, not a ton, right. but when you were throwing a changeup at 80, 81 mile an hour, miles an hour, and then you have your sinker is at 88, 89, 90 consistently, and not just... 86, 87, like those couple of miles an hour are a pretty big difference right. for him. And between that and then his mechanics are a lot smoother. I mean, he feels like his fastball command, He, the way he talked about it, it's the best he's felt in a while. He said himself since 2020, that's the best that, that Hendricks has felt. So um, with his fastball command, with his changeup and so on. So yeah, I think the way they brought him back was so key in this. And obviously it's coming to fruition as an absolutely integral storyline of this season so far. And you know, I think beyond the rotation, the bullpen has really been a huge part, and Ross points to it as well. When the Cubs went on a run, it was because the bullpen roles started being locked down. It was Edward Alzali in the ninth inning. It was Julian Merriweather most often in the seventh, Mark Leiter Jr. in the eighth. Those two guys maybe were flip-flops sometimes as as the setup guys. Michael Fulmer, after a little bit of a rough showing to start the season, he was the closer to start you know, kind of gets demoted, has some rough outings, then earns his way back into the circle of trust, has the fifth, sixth inning um, there a lot too. But Fulmer's been out for a while. The other three guys have certainly been taxed a lot, but they're still going out there and they're performing. There's some blips here and there, but Julian Merriweather pitching three days in a yeah. row, picking up his first save in a Cubs uniform on Sunday. Adriel Zelaya and Mark Leder Jr. bouncing back after what clearly were some physical ailments that we don't know exactly what they were. But, you know, Jose Quas has been really, really good, has earned himself in the circle of trust because of necessity, Hayden Wisniewski, I think, is out there in, in the eighth inning on Sunday in the circle of trust. Like, Ross is leaning on these guys, and I think most of the time right now they're showing what they can do, and they're, they're really pitching 
pretty well. I mean, not amazing, right? And there's definitely been blowups dating back to that Cincinnati series. But I think they've held their own with basically a makeshift group back there. It's not, you know, Boxberger just got back. He hasn't been anything since mid-May because he's been out. Like we said, Fulmer's on the aisle right now. Like the guy, Brandon Hughes, the guys you were counting on coming in the season are not the guys that are stepping up right now in the pennant race. Like, again, so like if we're playing the what-if situation, like yeah. if, you were, if you were talking about you, you don't have a bullpen with Fulmer and Broxberger, again, you're probably thinking the season went south and they were trade. Like there, there's so many storylines of guys that have popped up that weren't supposed to necessarily be like a, a piece of the equation. Like even Adbert Alzola, if you think about it, he really only pitched a couple games at the end of last year given his injury situation. And you kind of didn't know what to expect. Like, yes, you were shifting him into a relief role, but there was that did not mean by any means like that was going to be a successful endeavor, yeah. right? Like there was no guarantee, kind of like Kyle Hendricks, like there was no guarantee that this was going to work. He has taken that ninth inning role, embraced it, and run with it. Like he is very, very confident. He seems to have that edge that a closer needs. Like that's been really, really good to see. You you need that. But like Merriweather coming in, like you didn't know what to expect. This is a waiver claim. Like, yes, he had nasty stuff, but like Long a lot of guys history. have nasty stuff, yeah. in, injury history. Like you didn't know what to expect. Mark Leiter Jr. was really good in was really good in, in 2022, but the the Cubs uh, DFA'd him. Right, they yeah. took him off the 40 man roster and yeah, they brought him crazy. back on a minor league deal. Like all these guys kind of had to deal with some adversity, and now they're pitching crucial innings. Jose Quas didn't have great numbers in Kansas City. The Cubs took a flyer on him and traded. Nelson Velasquez for him, and he's earned himself into the circle of trust. Daniel Palencia was a starter at the beginning of the season. Yeah, like all these in the minor leagues. In the yeah. minor leagues, like all these things have the, the the Cubs have taken a chance, and they've all kind of worked for them. And that's kind of what you need, right? Like with bullpen arms, there's so much volatility. Like you don't know what they're going to be next year, but right now they're what you need them to be, and that's that's what the Cubs need as they push for the playoffs. Like they just need these guys to be who they've been all season, and and that'll be a good thing for them. Yeah, and even a couple other names like Rowan Wick. The Cubs kept Rowan Wick yeah. instead of Mark Leiter Jr. In spring training, you're thinking, okay, Wick's in the bullpen to start. He wasn't, and he didn't come up all year, and he's not even with the team in the minor leagues anymore. You know, yeah. he's, he's in, actually, I don't even know if he's in a different organization right now, but either yeah. way, he's not with the Cubs anymore. Um, after a rough few bunch of outings in AAA for the first few months of the season, Keegan Thompson was arguably the Cubs' best he, reliever last year. A lot of, thought a lot of people of thought he could have been the closer this year. Yeah. You know, pitching multiple innings, and, and he's had such an up-and-down season. He's certainly shown flashes of it, but from mid-May until, you know, about a couple of weeks ago, he was in the minor leagues as well. So, yeah, the Cubs really have been able to piece it together, um, but have, have had a pretty good bullpen. I'm definitely curious to see how some of these uh, minor ailments for, for guys like Leiter, for Alzelay, now Merriweather, you know, it, all these guys, as we talked about, they're, they're pitching different workloads or the biggest workloads of their career so far um, in the bullpen, Justin Steele as well. I am really curious to see how the pitching, if it fades at all down the stretch, or if this is what we've seen so far. So that's certainly something that, that bears watching as, as the next, I guess, three weeks play out. Yeah, and the bullpen for sure, I'm with you like that. That And I think we've seen maybe some, some uh, if you want to get some warning flags or whatever you want to call it, like we've yeah. kind of seen some with the bullpen right now. The one I'm not concerned about, in my opinion, is Justin Steele. Like I, I think yeah. he, um, he had last season. He didn't. He, he ended on the injured list. He didn't pitch, but the Cubs kept him on a five-day plan, like as if he was in the rotation and pitching every fifth day, just not in the intensity of a, of a game situation. And he mentioned like that how much that has helped him, right? Where he's he knows what it takes, so he knew what to work on in the offseason in terms of strengthening up his back and strengthening himself up to to be prepared. 
And this is a guy who moved from Mississippi, his hometown, to Arizona this offseason so that he could be near the Cubs complex, be near the Cubs coaches, coaching staff, and get himself ready. And the results have been staggering, right? Like he is a NL Cy Young candidate, will definitely be getting votes. And was a, that's incredible when you think about this was a guy who was a reliever two years ago for the Cubs. He, he, he had two pitches. Uh, he, he still has only really two pitches that right. he works with. You wouldn't have thought that that would be a, a starter that would work, and he's been more than you could have ever asked for. Yeah, I, I always find that fascinating, the two pitches, just because he has so many different shapes of it. Like yeah. Tommy Hadovy was talking the other day about, you know, he can throw one fastball that has more cut, and the very next fastball doesn't have quite as much cut. And then the right. third one looks even different than that, but they're all technically fastballs, and, like, they all look different. And sometimes, you know, he doesn't even always know which yeah. way it's going, which makes it hard to catch, which obviously makes it hard to hit. So, right. um, yeah, Steele, you know, has been – Simply incredible, and he'll, he'll certainly get some Cy Young votes. And when voting is said and done as well, the way it looks right now is Cody Bellinger will get some MVP votes. And yep. we talk about several months ago what, what we were expecting from this team or what we thought about. And Bellinger got off to a great start. There were so many questions on, on a one-year deal, former MVP, several down seasons after injury. What would the Cubs be getting out of him? At the very least, a strong defender in center field. We didn't know if that he would end up playing, you know, first base. We obviously didn't see the Mike Talkman thing coming, but he was really good for a while, and then he he went out. He had that bone bruise in his knee, missed a month, and while he was out, that was obviously the Cubs' toughest stretch of the season, right. record-wise, offense-wise. The lineup didn't seem to get into a groove. He comes back and he's been incredible. He has 69 RBIs in 76 games, 18 homers, hitting 341 with a 953 OPS in those 76 games since coming back. Uh, I mean. Without that month missed, he would be really high up there in the MVP race with Ron Lacuna Jr., with Mookie Betts, with Freddie Freeman. Like, he would be in that conversation. As is, he'll get some down votes in MVP. I, I don't see him winning the award or finishing second, maybe even. But, like, he has absolutely been the Cubs MVP this season. He really has. And, and to your point, like, this was a guy that you knew you were going to be getting really good defense. And, like, for a team that was predicating itself and in, in, in marketing itself as a pitching and defense team, like, Gold Glove level center field defense was was important. Now, were you expecting some offensive progression from what he had in from twenty to twenty two? Yeah, like for sure. But were you expecting uh, over three hundred batting average, over twenty five home runs? Because he's at twenty five now. Yeah. Are you were you twenty stolen, 20 stolen bases? bases yeah. Possibly potentially a hundred RBI. Probably not. Like by your best estimates, you probably would have taken somewhere like ten to fifteen home runs. Like you your number your expectations were a little tapered. And he's gone and performed. He's had the best season since his MVP season, which is absolutely incredible. It's more than what the Cubs could have asked for. And he is the, a huge reason why the Cubs are back in the playoff race. That's why they're in playoff contention. Without him in the middle of the lineup, we kind of saw what they were when they struggled that one month in May. He missed most of it. Like We saw what they were. Him in the lineup, it changes everything for them. Yeah, I think he's been so key behind the scenes, too. The yeah the intangible aspects, the mental aspects of it all. He keeps things loose. And, you know, to see David Ross smile when even when Bellinger was out and he's asked about Bellinger and he's yeah. like, you know, the way Cody just, the things that he says and keeps things loose even when he's out, helps cheer, cheer guys on, um, helps guys get through the long marathon and, and sometimes monotony of a season yeah. and even in difficult stretches to keep things loose to you know some of the home run celebrations or base hit celebrations are he's a central part of these yeah. things and 
Um, I think the Cubs have adapted his personality in a lot of ways. Yep. Like, Dansby Swanson came in, helped change the culture, and David Ross admitted that this week, that Swanson was a huge part in changing the culture. A guy like Jan Gomes did that, too. Obviously, Ian Happ and Nico Horner, who have been here for a bit. But I think Cody Bellinger, the Cubs have adopted his personality in the sense of, like, just going out and having fun and just enjoying being around each other, enjoying playing baseball. And that, that cause that's exactly what Cody Bellinger yeah. is. He loves playing baseball. He loves being out there. He, he, he knows he's good. He has this inner confidence that you can just tell when he's up there, when he's, you know, he, he was upset at himself Sunday in his first at bat, popping a ball up. Then he comes back and hits a home run his next at bat, you know, like yep. he made an adjustment right away. And like, yep. he's been doing that all year. He knows how good he is that has filtered down to the rest of the team. And he's helped keep things loose. And, like, for pitchers, Jamison Tyone talks about how much he loves Cody Bellinger. Yeah. And, like, the position players love him. Like, I think the Cubs have adopted his personality enough. And that has shown on the field to where it's not just when he goes, they go, which is true, absolutely, in the box score and so on. But he's helped everybody else go just by being himself. Right. And one of my favorite anecdotes just to kind of show his personality was Christopher Morrow was telling me once that they that um, he was working out in the, in the weight room. And, these guys work out all the time, right? Like it's part of it's part of the job that can get monotonous, right? Getting your routine and getting your work in. And Cody Ballinger, when he when he first came up, Morel was hitting all those home runs, if you remember. And uh, and Ballinger came up to him and said, "Hey, man, remember, like you uh, you got to keep doing that so you can get more money, right? Like uh, yeah. as you have more success, more money obviously comes in baseball." And, and Morel's like, "Oh yeah, of course, of course." And then Ballinger said, "But remember, with more money comes more problems." <laughs> and so now every time. Bellinger sees morale, whether it's in the weight room or whether it's when he's doing his drills. Bellinger always yells at him, mo money, and morale yells back, more problems. Like, that's kind of, like, the fun dynamic that he's created, right? Like, just a little bit of a make things loose, right? Like, yeah. if, if, if morale's going through the grind of of working out or taking drills or taking BP, just having that guy who can just come up and maybe get a smile on your face, it's a huge thing for, for this team. Yeah, well, the way he's playing, Bellinger is about to have a lot of problems yes. this offseason. Yes. So uh, whether it's the Cubs or some other team that signs him. But, um, yeah, you know, he's been a connector. You talk about the glue guys in the clubhouse. It's Sometimes it, it's the David Rosses, it's the backup catchers. Yep. Sometimes it's your star players. And Cody Bellinger has absolutely been that for the Cubs this season. So um, we're going to wrap it on this podcast, though. Cubs go to Colorado for a pretty big series and then play these Arizona Diamondbacks right away after. But that'll do it for this week's edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and YouTube. Thanks, as always, for watching.